0: This is Zuppy from the D20 Radio Forums, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. D20 Radio, where gamers
1: roll. www.d20radio.com. Execute Order 66.
0: This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you in part by our fine sponsors GoDaddy.com and Buy.com. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it is April the 18th, 2010, and we are back for episode number 101. It's a brand new sent on for the Order 66 podcast. My name's GM Dave. I'll be one of your hosts tonight. And with me to share the madness, Aha, get it, madness, It's GM Chris.
2: Oh, the madness. Oh. <laughs> what is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here. And we are conspicuously absent of female entanglement this evening
0: Yes, yes we are
2: TG's voice is gone
0: Yes, it sounds like a truck ran over it and then a steamroller steamrolled it
2: Pretty much Pretty much, and I think there's a reason for that though, but we'll get to that later
0: Ah, yes We will get to it later But, man, we had a lot of fun this weekend, dude
2: Oh, dude, it was great. I know, I know we're talking to talk about announcements, but it was just a blast. I'm still recovering. Oh, yeah, and for those of you turning in for the first time, uh, this is the Order 66 podcast, the only podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition. Uh, glorious member of the D20 Radio Network, and D20 Radio had a hell of a yesterday.
0: Oh, uh, yes, we did. The Gamer Nation came <sighs> out in force, and we overwhelmed that poor store. They didn't know what hit them. It was great. The regulars came in. They're like, wow, there are a lot of people
2: here tonight. Can we get tables? There's no tables. Uh, well, uh, we're I'll be done with this uh, with, with this session in like three hours. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you can have my table.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it was fun. <laughs> and well, how, how about we just get to it? Maybe.
2: Yeah.
3: Accessing.
1: Ah, good new acquisitions. <laughs>
2: Greetings, Gamer My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Newsnet update.
3: Ah, uh,
0: yes. So the mm-hmm. aftermath.
2: <laughs> I'm still recovering. I'm sore. My throat hurts. I didn't lose my voice, but my throat hurts. So, okay, so well, we've been broadcasting for a while. We had the first ever D20 radio event uh, at Madness Games and Comics in Plano, Texas, yesterday, um, and it was glorious. Um, man. Yes, we we had like uh, we had I think, and this surprises me because I know we only have a handful of listeners in the DFW area. We had probably about oh fourteen or fifteen people just show up that were listeners, and you right. know, like cr- what we call crew members, people here in DFW, just listeners, and then. There were a bunch of other people who responded uh, just based on Madness, his own publication of the event. Um, and they ingeniously uh, uh, coincided it with their Saturday Night Board Gaming group, which came to find all their tables used up. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? So we wrangled them into some other types of gaming.
0: Yes. Dude. It was fantastic, man. I, I played a game that I've never played before, Betrayal on, be, uh, The Betrayal at the House on the Hill, right?
2: Great game.
0: And we were victorious over the betrayer, or whatever that thing is, who turned into a wolf. But we were victorious, and it was fantastic, and it was really kind of a fun little game with all the omens and the items and events and all that. It's it's a different game every single time, and it was fun to me.
2: I I enjoy it. People either like it or don't. I, I think it's an absolute hoot to play with a bunch of people. It's just a lot of fun. And um, it's actually out of print. Avalon Hill made it, or Wizards of the Coast, Avalon Hill uh, made it. Um, but I understand that it's coming back into print this fall.
0: Ah, not bad. So
2: very exciting. But dude, I ran uh, Secret of the and Kite Hawk for a great group of guys yep. um, who i had never met, much less gamed with before. Yep. Um, and they all absolutely loved it um, and had a great time. Uh, the fourth edition table was booming. They had a full like six or seven people playing that. Oh that yes, awesome game that uh, DM David ran um, with Jackson running support. That was fantastic. Um, Cat never got to run Paranoia. We had it, but they didn't have enough people signed up to play it. So instead, she facilitated like a junk load of board games instead. Yeah, and seeing as how she's the host of Game On, that kind of makes sense.
0: She did. Yeah, she spent a lot of time playing Four E. And that's Jack- right she did play for you yeah Jackson Jackson ran a game then David ran a game and then I mean they were both they were both into it really hardcore uh,
2: the, the people were having fun and then Brev yeah. God he had like there were probably about 10 people that came out and minis. played minis Yeah. yeah uh, I mean they had like they, they did scenario games with a lot of the new pieces and then they did Um, I, I love it where you call the, the out of box games where you like you just you just buy a booster pack and you throw it down on the table and what you got is what you got
0: right that's oh. and that that is that was awesome. And then they took over, <laughs> they took over the Warhammer pit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and they, they moved all the scenery and stuff out of the Warhammer, you know, the giant Warhammer table, and they played minis there. And yeah, that it, was a, it, it. Was great. Yeah, that was really I mean, fun.
2: So. We and, and dude, I mean, like other board games. You brought out Pitch Car. We played the heck out of that. Yeah. Um, you Roma, played. Roma. Uh, Catan. Uh, uh, you
0: played a Ticket to Ride.
2: Ticket to Ride. Uh, Catan, Those are just the games yeah. I played. Oh, yes. Beautiful. dude! It was great. Big thank you to Madness Games and Comets for facilitating this, and there is more to come, guys. We might do this in May. Um, The schedule's looking pretty full for everyone, including Madness right now, Um, but at the latest, we will have an early June event. So, uh, keep listening, keep your eyes on the forums, and we will have another one coming up very soon.
0: Very soon, indeed. What do we have for our featured podcast this week, sir?
2: Dude, okay, so if you're feeling nostalgic... If you're if you're loving your, your old game and goodness or you're wanting to educate yourself, in
0: the,
2: ed, uh in the roots of D D glory, tune in to the most recent episode of the Roll for Initiative Podcast. RFI, issue thirteen, Ampersands and alliteration oh. is up. <laughs> and uh, the boys welcome Old Pro, first edition developer, and TSR God, the one and only Jeff Grubb. Ooh, uh, yeah, uh, they they talked the talk of days of yore, and Jeff's amazing contributions to the genre, and then they get into the nitty gritty, talking about things like PC deaths and and the proper use of lichdom, huh? Which uh, you know, you, being a lich can be good, it can be bad too. That's right. But either way, it you do lose weight.
0: You don't want to be a lich king either.
2: No, no, that would be bad. Then you get involved in a in a really overplayed MMO.
0: A long time, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: pretty bad. Yes. Yes, so check it out, Gamer Nation.
0: So you'll find this and more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. And speaking of that, a couple of housekeeping matters that I did not get to last week. Um, I'm very sad to announce, and this actually uh, deserves sad piano music. Yes, very sad to announce the cancellation of two shows on the D20 Radio Network. Ah, uh, yes. Dungeon Master's Keep has pod faded for the time being. And Cinematic Attic is no longer with us. Yes. Indeed. But the good news is that I have another movie podcast to replace them, and it's called <laughs> Cult Movie Cuisine. Details will be coming soon.
2: Yes, yes. I love the idea for this. I can't wait to listen to it.
0: Indeed. Indeed. And also, look forward to something new on the horizon for the Gamer Nation. And that's all I'll say for the time being. But rest assured, it's good stuff.
2: hmm I know what he's talking about. <laughs> I love it. I love it! Well, um, I kind of smell something, man. It smells kind of like... Uh, Juicy bits of web goodness. Really? Yeah.
0: Patrick Stutzman, huh?
2: Oh, it could only be the Stutzman.
0: Of course. He brings us Message to Spacers number seven, where he gives us the infamous Star Wing, the, the Imperial Gunboat Fighter, the Alpha Class XG-1. Cool ship. Uh-huh. The Empire's attempted answer to the power of the x wing. This fighter is a bit slower, but makes up for it with heavily increased defenses and armaments mm sounds yummy to me
2: It's great. I'm glad we finally got this, and it looks badass too it looks like it almost looks like um it was like it was made by the creator of the lambda class shuttles, the same designer um I think it was c n r fleet systems. I'm not sure I'll probably get stoned by the forum for that um but so it it looks kind of like a lambda class shuttle, you know. Uh, but like with an extra set of wings and like kind of stubbed down into this fighter esque profile, it looks really badass.
0: Cool. And you can find this right now at www.wizards.com/slash Star Wars, along with everything else that Wizards has for this beautiful, beautiful Saga Edition role playing game.
2: Uh huh. Me gusta mucho. Me gusta. <laughs> Me gusta mucho. Okay, Convention Madness. We've talked this to death, but we're going to keep talking it to death because, darn it, you guys need to go to these cons. They're really important. ReaperCon 2010, May twenty 20th through the 23rd, Denton, Texas. Order 66, RFH, Game On. We'll all have members there running games. Come, get your paint on, get your game on. Find out more at www.reapermini.com.
0: Yes, and Origins 2010, June 23rd through the 27th, Columbus, Ohio. D20 Radio's own Vader son will be running four games of Saga. Uh, all right there. Death of the Star of Agnor, Murder on the Executor, and Requiem for the Star for the Star of Agnor. All there at Columbus, June 23rd uh-huh. to 27th. Find more at www.originsgames.com.
2: And, of course, the Big Daddy cometh a weekend earlier than normal. Uh, Gen Con 2010, August 5th through the 8th. Indianapolis, Indiana. Um the I think registration's open, man. So uh head over to www.gencon.com. and remember Gygax Memorial Auction this year. Own a piece of the Gary. Yes.
0: So I hear that you got like another piece of correspondence.
2: Like- okay, okay. So Nation, remember a while back when I got a letter. Uh literally, I'm not I'm not joking. This is not a this is not a sketch or a skit. I literally am holding up to the webcam right now, got a letter um from someone here. Uh, And it was sent to Imperial Citizen GM Christopher Witt um, with my address and then USA Soul System. And uh, I will now read to you the contents of this letter. Dear Imperial Citizen GM, quote-unquote, Chris, thank you again for the information on the location for Commander, quote-unquote, Cody. Your assistance in this matter has proven to be fortuitous to your emperor and the empire. Such rebellious persons should be crushed whenever they step out of line. Because of your actions, you have saved the life of your wife and child she is holding. GM, quote-unquote, Dave, on the other hand, will be receiving a correspondence from us shortly about his apparent Wookiee connections. You can love Wookies, Just don't love Wookies. You have my gratitude for your assistance. Signed, Lieutenant Garrick Tremainer, Imperial Security Officer, Second Class. P.S. We've obtained information wanted regarding a certain future member of your household. Your suspicions are correct. The child will be part human, part diesel battery. May the force be with you in this time of need. PPS. Damn, man. Damn. PPPS. My wife has an earlier model, but this one has a kickstand and runs on (laughs) diesel fuel? You should see my kid. (laughs) Okay, I don't know who this jackass is, but he's pissing me off. I think that's funny. <laughs> Thank you Gamer Nation. Very nice.
0: Yeah. And now for something a little bit new.
3: Barbecue. It's wise never at his post. It's time for tailgating with TK41.
1: Well, hey, hosers, this here is TK41. back on the airwaves of the Order 66 podcast, busy grilling, sipping on some Karelian ale, uh, uh, I mean, uh, blue milk, and, uh, tailgating here at the Malister Padres Classic with my new buddy, big old boy from Bestine, a fella by the name of Jet Porkins. I saw him come up on my spader, I saw he was a fan of good barbecue right away. So I asked him if he'd like to try a couple of my Bantha Burgers, seeing as how he was a connoisseur. Came right over and socked me in the gut, he did. <laughs> well, after I uh, caught my wind back, I laughed and I said, boy, you's all right. Tossed him a cold one and we tailgated for a good couple of hours tell you what, that old boy there, he can toss him back. Now Porkins tells me he's some kind of pilot. Born and raised on Best yeah, I talk about how the Empire kinda kinda relocated all them Bestine folks a few years back and got all quiet on me. Kinda mad too. But a cold one got him talking again. Says he flew for a group called the Yellow Aces for a while. But he is a, a new unit now. Wouldn't tell me much though. You don't, know, now that I think about it, he was kinda nervous when I asked. Maybe he's working for them rebels. Eh, yeah, who knows? That's bad conversation for a good tailgate, I tell you what, you know? Well, we had us some chow. Some drinks. Played a good game of the kicked my bice something fierce, too. Lost a few credits, don't mind saying, and then that big old pilot was off. Said something about a craving for fried chicken. Not too sure. Hope to see him again. Well here's TK four two one. Raising a cold one for you, Porkins, wherever the galaxy takes you. And if you'd like to meet Chick Porkins, you can too, right now at the D20 Radio Forums. This here is TK421, reminding you hoesers to stay at your post, keep the charcoal hot, and remember, you never know who you're gonna meet at a good down home tailgate. And there he goes.
2: We are pleased to report that TK421 is back on the payroll.
0: Back, joining us in all his glory.
2: Yeah, it was nice of him to volunteer for a new segment too. Yeah, after he killed
0: our last guy and all.
2: Yeah, after yeah, I mean, after it was the least he could do. You know.
0: Yeah, you figure. (laughs) But
2: But we are proud to welcome back TK421. And every week, you guys at TK will be meeting with a brand new character from the Star Wars universe, who uh, will conspicuously have their NPC stat block posted up on the forums in the D20 radio thread where you could find these people and add them to your own games at your leisure.
0: That's right. Handy, handy stuff. Good information to use in your games. Mm-hmm. Yup. Yup! All right, here we go.
1: D20 Docking Bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it.
0: Ah, yes. Back to the D20 Docking Bay again. It's been a while.
2: It has been a little while. I'm glad to be back in it, officially.
0: Yes, indeed. So, we start today with Ilmion, who has a rather enlightening question
2: I sense a pun
0: Ah, uh, no you know me better than that but never do okay. that so when a gunfight happens in total darkness do you think that the blaster bolts fired should give a little insight on the environment to the character that does not have dark vision do blaster bolts provide enough light to make total darkness not total also do the photoreceptors of droids glow in the dark is there some kind of stealth photoreceptor in the rules? <laughs> well, I think he's trying to make things entirely too difficult.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad to agree. Um, okay, on there, there are no rules allowing blaster bolts to light up the darkness. There's also no rules calling out that droid lights light up the darkness either. Now, this doesn't mean it doesn't work that way. Again, there's no rules saying that Gungans can blink. That doesn't mean they can't. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, Honestly, though, this is really going to be up to your GM. I mean, as a GM myself, I mean, Dave Chime in, man, I I would not allow for blaster bolts to have that kind of effect, mostly because it overcomplicates something that is, frankly, a pretty common occurrence in Star Wars. Um, Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, now it has been called out that a lightsaber can illuminate the square it's in, but that's a giant, glowing, semi-stationary laser sword. Yeah. that's a bit different. Um, not, a, not a momentary flash that's just going in a heartbeat. Right. Um, I'd kind of put droid photoreceptors in the same category. I don't think they're bright enough to have any appreciable difference. And honestly, Ilmion, if you started treating them as such, I think you'd add a much unintended wrinkle to the rules uh, since that would penalize stealth checks, logically, um, and all that. And, you know, and which droids have photoreceptors anyway? Uh, you know, yeah, it's yeah, you can, yeah we, you know, what, what a mess, okay? If you want to house rule this, okay, that's fine. But always do so in favor of the players, never to penalize them if you're going to do this, okay? Seeing a, like a, like a faint trace of an enemy droid in the dark due to its lights, that's really cool. It's cinematic. Um, getting a fleeting glimpse of enemy positions after brazenly standing in the open during a firefight in the dark is also very cinematic. But the benefits, if any, should be minor and should always serve to benefit the players and never hinder them.
0: Yeah. Besides, when was the last time you saw a droid that could actually do you harm that had lights on it?
2: <laughs> Good point.
0: You know, I mean, the R2s and R4s, sure, but they don't fight. So. No, they don't. So there you go. It's not like we're talking about recognizers or something like that.
2: No, no, no. I think it's just, you know. So that's, that's my opinion. Hey, All right.
0: Okay, well, we got something from Skiza. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, Skousa.
2: Scouser,
0: yeah. She's a skeezer, I tell you. <laughs> All right, so Scouser says, I'm looking at a noble character becoming the technical guru of the group. Well, hmm. nice. A noble with the wealth talent and tech specialist feat could be a great character to add to a party. I would be inclined to agree. I noticed that the tech specialist feat is considered a bonus feat for the noble and scoundrel classes. But the tech specialist feat has a prerequisite of training in mechanics, which is not in the Noble skill list. Am I missing something here, or are you just meant to be a scoundrel or multi-class into Noble to get access to it as a, boni- as a bonus feat? Yeah, pretty much.
2: <laughs> yeah, you are correct. Um, there's a couple other ways, too. Um, so, okay, basically scouts Noble has three ways they can by raw rules as written become a mechanic. One, Multi-class into a class with, multi- with mechanics on the list. Uh, then wait for an intelligence bump and train in mechanics or uh, take skill training. Uh, second way, uh, backgrounds. If your GM is using the background mechanic in the Rebellion Era campaign guide, it might actually be possible to have mechanics on your class list from the get-go. Um, And three, uh, often overlooked one, the Noble's Engineer Talent, Starships of the Galaxy, page 16. Uh, Cool talent. It has educated as a prereq, and that's not a bad talent in itself. But when you take the Engineer Talent, what it does is it automatically trains you in mechanics immediately. And then as a kicker, it lets you install new systems in 25% less time. Um, Dave, what do you you think? I, I think the intent here was to... Was to limit Munchkinism for nobles with wealth from just going and like crafting Uber right. weapons or droid armies. I mean, you no, still yeah. can.
0: Yeah, that's why I kind of paused in the middle of that and was like, yeah, it would be a great character if you could do it out of the box raw, but yeah, well, there's a can. reason why it, it you could. It would cost you. I yeah, mean, yeah, there's a reason why you have to spend time and, and talents to do it.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're either going to multi-class or lots of talents or a lack of destiny if you take the background mechanic. Also, uh, it is worth noting, um, since these show notes were written, um, some folks did manage to get their hands on the Unknown Region source book. And there are a couple races in there that do have uh, mechanics as a permanent class skill as part of the racial features. Yeah. Another great way to do it. There you are. (laughs) There you go.
0: All right. Griswold.
2: Griswold. Oh,
0: no. Grey's Word.
2: Uh, <laughs> I'll take S Words for 400, Alex. Yes, back. I think it's Grey Sword.
0: Grey. Oh, Gray's Grey. <laughs> Grey's Word. <Gray> sword. So, <laughs> I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. <laughs> So he says, hello, everyone, I will beg for your knowledge and insight into a vaguely worded feat from Galaxy of Intrigue, Adaptable, the Adaptable talent. My questions primarily revolve around the time mechanics of when the talent can be enacted. First, the consensus on the WOTC boards and with a local GM is that this feat is too powerful to use with lineage talent from the noble class, especially the wealth talent. I'd like to get your thoughts as well. Given the above, the remaining noble talents usable by this feat are combat-related. As such, what action is required to allow the shift from one talent to another, i.e., is it a a free action, swift, etc.? Third, the feat indicates that a character must have six hours of rest to switch talents. Does this mean it must be done immediately after the sleep cycle or sometime before the day is complete? And would I be correct in assuming that only one switch, back or forth, can be done between sleep periods? Finally, what happens if the player decides to never switch back, or takes talents which have the adaptive talent as a prerequisite, and the switch occurs? Thank you very much for your input. Uh huh. Okay,
2: th- I know GOI just came out. I- I- are you familiar with this te- with this feed at all? I'm not sure if you've had a chance to look at it yet.
0: No, not at all. But I tell you what, it feels like I need a flowchart to follow this question. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, um, yeah. I get where he's coming from. A dry erase um, board and an okay. easel. Okay, let's break it down simply, okay? For those of you following at home, the adaptable talent feed, page 25 of Galaxy of Intrigue, is a doozy, okay? And in, in a nutshell, Dave, what you do is you take this feed, and when you take it, you pick a single talent that you meet the prerequisites for but don't have from, from, from a class that you possess, okay? You pick one talent. Once a day, after you rest for six hours, you can switch out one of your existing talents for this other one. Very cool. Um, there are some rules. Uh, the the lost talent can't be a prerequisite for any other talent you have, obviously. Um, and you can swap back to the original talent with another six hours of rest. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. Um, so as to your questions, Gray Sword. frankly, I think a lot of folks are really overthinking this in a lot of ways. Uh, there is no action listed to use the talent, which means that at least until the errata comes out, it doesn't take an action. It just happens when you want it to after six hours of rest. Now, six hours of rest means that, just that, six hours of rest. Some species don't sleep, man. You know, basically, you need six hours of chill time, okay, whether it's sleep, meditation, or just simple relaxation. Then you can switch out your talent. I think it's important, Gray Sword and all of you guys, to look at the intent here, okay? I would rule that you cannot use this talent in combat. That is not the intent the clear intent is to rest and reconsider things and do it at a time and do, do, you know, do it at that time, switch at that time. You can still only do it once a day. Okay. As GM, the instant that initiative is rolled, you have lost that rest condition. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So, uh, in combat, no, I would not let you use it. Um, now I'm sure in play, most folks will do this in the morning after they wake up. Or after planning a mission, a character might realize, hey, you know, this other talent might be of more use. Hey, guys, give me six hours to prep for this mission. And then they'll pause and rest, and then switch the talent out. Okay? Um, as for your other questions, I don't think the lineage talents are broken for it. Why? Read them. Okay? Wealth, for example, gives you all these cool credits when you level only. So if you don't level while the wealth talent is chosen, you don't get the money, period. You don't just switch talents to wealth and get the cash. You know. You, know, you switch it, and then, oh, wow, all of a sudden I've got all these credits. They're, they've just shown up. No, it doesn't happen that way. It only happens when you level. Now, if you leveled while you had switched to the wealth talent, yeah, that would work. But then again, if a G- as a GM, if my player chooses wealth with this feat, his single talent choice for this feat, he chooses wealth, specifically to time his switches to when he's about to level, then that is metagaming BS of the highest order. And as a GM, I mean that's what, Dave? That's that's a problem all on its own, yeah?
0: Oh yeah, that's munchkinism at its finest.
2: I mean, I would never allow that. I mean, God, or at the very least I'd punish you I'd punish you for it. <laughs> in game. Oh
0: yeah, of course. You get mugged.
2: You get mugged, congratulations. You know, I mean, seriously. Um, but only because in that instance the player is clearly blatantly power gaming and metagaming and it's b s um, lastly uh, gray sword, if you switch out your question if you switch out for a, a talent um, and then level and then take another talent that uses the, the the switched out new talent as a prerequisite there's really nothing in the rules stopping you from doing that yet, but frankly you're hosed because the wording of the feat states that you cannot switch out a talent. that is a prerequisite for something else, meaning that you've now permanently gotten your switched out talent. You can't ever go back to your original one. Does that make sense? Congratulations. That was a rather expensive retraining. You just did. (laughs) Um, so there's that. I think a lot of people are making more out of this than it needs to be. Um, uh, you know, I I think there might be some shenanigans possible, but only with an extremely lenient GM and, uh, That's kind of where I stand on it. So I hope that answers your questions. Thank you.
0: Oh, no. Thank you. Okay. Broken Wind has...
2: I believe that's Steel Wind.
0: Ah, yeah. Steel Wind. Sorry. Has some swashbuckling questions about the Master Privateer. Mm. And he says that his questions stem from the Force Unleashed and the Master Privateer Prestige Class talents, Blaster and Blade 1 and Blaster and Blade 3. I'm reading these talents, and for the life of me, I cannot... And I'm not sure why anyone would take Blaster and Blade 3. Blaster and Blade 1 allows the privateer character to move once, then attack with a vibroblade, then immediately attack with a pistol as a free action in the same round. The cool factor in all of this is not the dual attack, as Dual Weapon Mastery 1 allows that. The cool factor is the ability to do it as a standard action plus a free action, thus allowing the attacker to move first, then do the dual attack. Okay, fair enough. That's fairly handy and quite cinematic. Blaster and Blade 3 says that when you are wielding both an advanced melee weapon and a pistol, you can make a full attack as a standard action instead of a full round action, provided that you attack with both weapons. Huh? Did I get to essentially do this already with Blaster and Blade 1? Am I right in judging that the only tangible benefit this gives the character is the unspoken use of the talent? to make a triple attack as a standard action, thus preserving a move while triple attacking. And probably missing anyway, as the penalties on a triple are still there (laughs) and are pretty gruesome. If that's the intended exploit payoff, that's one hell of a focus build, just for moving once in a turn while triple attacking.
2: (laughs) Well, uh, Steelwind, you actually hit the nail on the head, sir. Uh, the Blaster and Blade Talents, uh, page 52, Force Unleashed Campaign Guide. For those following along at home, do exactly what you claim. Uh, Blaster and Blade One lets you make a pistol attack as a free action after attacking with a vibroblade. Blaster and Blade Two, rather cool talent, lets you double your strength bonus on a one-handed vibroblade attack as long as you got a pistol in the other hand. And Blaster and Blade Three lets you make a full attack as a standard action as long as you attack with both a pistol and a vibroblade. During that full attack now so the benefits of b and b one and two pretty obvious but what about b and b three you are correct what it does is it allows you to make other full attacks as a standard action this could be triple attack this could be a combination of dual weapon fighting and double attack which would net you four attacks all in all um or excuse me three attacks all in all um uh, it could be a combination of triple attack and dual weapon which would net you four attacks in any case the penalties are extreme if you do that. So why is this worth the talent? Honestly, man, it depends on your build. I think, though, it is faulty to say that this is a culmination talent that requires all the prereqs for the class and the other two talents to get it as, as a means unto itself. That's not the case. Blaster and Blade 1 and 2 are a means to their own end, sir you get this class to get those, okay? Now, if you're 12th level and you've spec'd your build for multiple attacks, then, hey, you know what? Blaster and Blade 3 is there just for you. Icing on the cake. But it's certainly not the goal, okay? But a lot of high-level fighters do invest in triple attack or the dual-weapon double-attack combo uh, specifically just to mop up mooks, and this talent is really there to help that. You know? By no means super powerful, but it's there for a specific build. Yes. So, there you go.
0: And I have one audio question.
2: Sweet! Hey, GM Chris, GM Dave. I'm calling in with a question. I was looking over the toolkit the other day and looking at all the weapons that you uh, can use as an improvised weapon and droids can use as a simple weapon if they have it mounted on a tool mount. And I was wondering, is the fusion cutter in it the same fusion cutter that Kyle Katarn uses in the first Dark Forces game? And if so, what kind of range would you give it? And are any of the other uh, uh, weapons in the toolkit possible to be used at range? What do y'all think about that? Anyway, thanks guys.
0: Huh. Cool question. Yeah, I'll I'll give you I'll give you the fusion cutter at range if you throw it.
2: <laughs> I would give it a range of about um I'd say one and a half meters. In other words, one square. Yeah. Um <laughs> Melee. So, uh, page 139, Core Rulebook, Gamer Nation, the Toolkit. The ubiquitous item many of us have, comes with the standard utility belt, and is required for a lot of applications of the mechanics skill. But if you read the text very closely, um, as our caller pointed out, uh, a lot of these tools can be used as makeshift weapons, and it kind of gives you, you know, what each tool does damage-wise, and the type of damage it does. Um, And the Fusion Cutter, 2-6 energy. Not bad in a pinch. Um... I would not equate this as the same fusion cutter that Katarn used in, uh, in the first game, man. Uh, just because, I mean, gosh, I, I don't know if I'm striking video game canon aside, but I, I think that is just a little too... I have a hard time believing... I think toolkits would be a lot more confiscated and restricted if I could use one as a ranged blaster weapon, in essence, stealing 2-6 of damage, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Dave. Dave, what do you? I mean, what do you think? Man, we were talking about this uh, before the show. Yeah,
0: it's like, I I equate it in real life to a blowtorch, and you're not going to be able to use that at any significant range.
2: Yeah, so. I mean, I, I think, I, I think that's the, I think that's the crux of it. Quite frankly, um, so really good question, but no, man. I mean, considering that you know th- it's not the toolkit's primary purpose, I, I would say adjacent squares only. You no, know? that w- that would pretty much be it. Yeah.
3: Hey, love the show. Woo!
0: Oh, oh, thank you.
2: <laughs> Good calling question, caller. Thank you very much. And Dave, what if people want to send us questions for D20 Docking? Well, they...
0: you know what? They can do that by emailing us the questions at D... At what? Oh, yeah. GM Chris at D20Radio.com. Dave at D20Radio.com. Or posting them on the forums. D20Radio.com slash forum. Or... The Loser Line, area code 206-600-5872, L-U-S-A, Loser, 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 so yeah, that, I'm Batman.
2: This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Inn this week for our big special sale. Tell them Jabba sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, We got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement.
0: Uh, What do you know? Uh... (laughs) Oh, I missed
2: that. (laughs) I missed (sighs) Watto's.
0: Ah. was one of my favoriteest openings in the world.
2: I, I'm just a fan of Sanford and Son. Yes. So There you go. Well, okay, so we found something at Wado's that will get us all one step closer towards the ultimate and supreme goal of making our, our PCs identical to the Dark Knight. I'm Batman. I am the knight.
0: <laughs> Gotham
2: needs a hero. Oh, boy. Being Batman, Park six, we present in Watto's Bargain Basement, the Surveillance Tagger. You're it? You're it. Basically, that's what this does. Very cool. So, I I, I love this. I'm glad they finally set this out. Basically, it is a tiny-sized, unassuming tube. Okay, and inside the tube there is a fine-sized dart and a compressed air canister. Hey,
0: what do you know?
2: What do you know? From the
0: cloners.
2: (laughs) As a ranged attack against a target within six squares, no larger, you can fire the dart, which will adhere to the target using a combination of adhesives and magnets. Once attached, the dart activates a homing beacon within itself, which has a range of one kilometer and 40 hours of battery life. You can then track the beacon with a measly DC-10 used computer check and either just a simple data pad or an appropriate sensor package, like if you're on a ship or something. Um, noticing the dart, if, you, if you're tagged, isn't easy either. Uh, its size gives the target a minus 20 Ooh. to perception checks to notice it, uh, which is ridiculous. And you can find this item on page 67 of Galaxy of Intrigue. Um, it's a little pricey, 450 credits. Weighs about half a kilo, the full tube. Uh, but, dude, what a fun way to accomplish a mission! You know, I mean, I, if, despite the price, this is a cool little thing to add to your utility belt. It is cool. You could make it a bat utility belt. Batman. I am Batman. I am the night. Oh, I am the night. <laughs> the Dark Knight. <laughs> so, pick up Galaxy of Intrigue if you haven't already. And um, Oh, hey, I forgot in announcements I was going to add it. Of course, guys, in two days, on the 20th, officially, uh, The Unknown Regions comes out, uh, as we mentioned, Unknown Regions earlier. So for Pete's sake, go pick it up. Last book in the line, folks. Don't be left out in the cold. Get your pre-reserves in now, your pre-orders, your your, prepayments, all that. Yeah, Yeah,
0: all that. Book now. Big happy. Well, on our phone now, Grego, is a gentleman who Needs absolutely no introduction whatsoever. You guys in the chat room would know him as Silver Force. He's been called Silver Chocolate. He's been called lots of things, but the name is Sterling Hershey, writer, author, father, architect, architect, <laughs> general, good writer, and guy. author. Are the
4: <laughs> well, I'm not father yet.
0: Oh, sorry what i meant ordained minister <laughs> <laughs> lawyer esquire firefighter and savior of children
2: and all around general cool guy
0: that's right the man about town
2: well what is up sterling we were talking uh, before before we came back on the show i uh we missed you last week man I'm, I'm glad to hear you're doing well
4: yeah you know it's uh had had something else come up with uh, with work and uh, a meeting that ran a whole lot longer than I thought it would. It was you know, scheduled to start at 5:30, and I thought, well, I could get back here by nine, and I got here at, got back here at 11:30. So I way underestimated not only the length of the meeting, but also when I said I'll be back in about an hour. No, that was completely wrong as well.
0: See, your clients needed to know that they really didn't want that much natural light entering the foyer. So, I mean, <laughs> get over it. You're not going to have the sky. Scu- you're not going to have the windows there.
4: Well, all in all it was a good
0: meeting, so <laughs> <laughs> all right.
2: Well that's good. Okay, well so okay, before we get into the meat then, uh so dude, Sterling, talk to us, man. Uh how's Diggs? What's going on for you right now? I mean, you know, aside from aside from normal everyday work.
4: Uh well, I guess in terms of freelance, uh obviously I'm not doing Star Wars at the moment. <laughs> um I am doing a little bit of other freelance, however, so um, in fact, I've got a project due here in a a week or so, so um, that's also with Wizards, so that's good. Very nice. nice. Hope to see hopefully more of that and uh, some other freelance from from some other companies um, is a possibility, but nothing to talk about yet. Very cool, very cool.
2: So, okay, we, we asked this question to um, our, 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 our host that we're on last week for the 100th episode extravaganza, and we'll ask them to you, too. Um, okay, it's been a while since we've talked to you. What is your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> Green.
4: Blue. I don't know.
2: <laughs> All right, so a, lot of it, a lot's happened since we talked to you last and had you on the show. Talk to us, man. What is your reaction to the end of the line?
4: Well, I'm obviously disappointed. Um, it's been a really great line for for me personally to be on, um, and uh, but uh, that said, you know it's it's pretty complete. I mean, there's a you know there's some things that uh, haven't been covered, but most of that you can probably get to with the rules we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, new material coming out, you'll be able to cover um, fairly well. Um, although the the uh, maybe the Seth the Seth Green comedy show. Uh, might be a little more challenging, but I'd love to do a campaign guide for that. That'd be hilarious. Um, but um, uh, it's also the second time I've gone gone through this, and all things considered, this is much better than the first time with West End when West End went bankrupt. Yeah. And, uh, at least nobody has owed any cash <laughs> this time around. Uh, uh, dot, dot, dot. that sounds <laughs> uh, ha, ha, ha. so. Um, and, 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 you know, obviously they were able to plan the end of the line as opposed to just having it stop abruptly, um, Right, which is also a plus. So, you know, uh, StarWars.com has posted already that, that, that Lucas Licensing feels that the miniatures and the RPG is part of, uh, an important part of their license, licensing system, and, and and so I expect to see somebody pick it up. I don't know okay. who or when or how, but uh, I would not be surprised to see that happen. Um, Sometime down the road, I think they'll have some challenges with it, because um, coming off of this successful game line, um, you know every time you start over with another version, uh, you've got to convince the people who like the previous version that, hey, you'll like this one too, mm-hmm. and sometimes you can do that, and sometimes you can't, and and you'll never get everybody. so every time you split you know every time you have a new edition, you're splitting your fan base, which is already a niche fan base. so I think there'll be some challenges in that, but uh, probably not insurpassable. Um, I would say that I think uh, if they, you know, any new companies coming along might want to start looking towards the uh, the Clone Wars and some of that stuff because I was at a comic or local comic convention here and uh, coming to realize just how big it is with uh, younger kids especially. It's so huge. They're, yeah, it's huge. So, the, so in an industry where you're trying to bring in new and younger uh, players, um, whenever you can. It seems like that's a prime opening that somebody could exploit uh, pretty well uh, with some sort of introductory game or whatever.
2: You know what else would help? Um, if they hired really good and creative and tried, tried and tested freelancers, um, you know, like, like Sterling Hershey. Yeah.
4: Um, then I ha- would not be opposed to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. When Wizards took it over, initially they did a lot of stuff in-house. Uh, in fact, I think it was exclusively in-house for a while until... Um, Gamer came along in, in particular. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of freelancing opportunities there at the very beginning, but uh, it opened up later on. Cool. Somewhat.
2: Somewhat. <laughs> nice. Well, alright, man. Are you ready to get into the meat of this show with us?
4: Sure.
0: Excellent. Spam, 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 spam,
2: spam, spam, spam.
0: No. You know,
4: speaking of spam, okay. Quick Quick story here. Oh, please. Uh, back when I was running a first edition D&D game, uh, and this was for the Desert of Desolation campaign, which I've actually run twice because I like 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 that campaign a lot. Uh, but this was back in high school, and we we're it's first session. We're all you know everyone's around the table, and I have to look down at my notes to see where the heck they're going, what they're doing in the next room, and my entire table starts doing that <laughs> while I'm trying to concentrate and figure out what I'm going to say next. It was uh, both funny and distracting.
2: <laughs> yes, my uh my my group torments me with similar things sometimes just occasionally
0: uh i i don't i don't know what you mean sir yeah i i I don't i don't know what
2: you mean sir you and brev are are incorrigible and i don't get to use that word very often
0: incorrigible huh
4: incorrigible well (laughs) all right
0: you know what that means
2: ah yes the meat so what are we calling this meat dave i mean tentatively
0: spam 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 no oh um okay we're calling it you got npc'd
2: you got npc'd what 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 i see did you see how i got gangster on you there that was pretty awesome whatever whatever All right. Well, now that we have the uh, inestimable uh, Mr. Sterling Hershey in the studio with us, we, which the Order 66 podcast is proud to welcome back, um, we are going to engender tonight a discussion that has been requested by a couple of GMs of late and should pique the interest of many a GM and a player. and NPCs and their creation. How do you best go about creating an NPC for a campaign? For a one-shot Uh, Aside from the nuts and bolts of the mechanics, how can you make an NPC memorable? What kind of effort needs to go into it? And what advice can we and the fine mind of Mr. Hershey provide to add flavor, functionality, and fun to one of the more important aspects of game design? Ooh,
0: alliteration.
2: Uh, Find us all out tonight with more alliteration as we prepare to NPC you in the face.
0: Nice. Ah. Nice, (laughs) nice, nice. So, uh, can you tell me what an NPC is, actually?
4: Non-player character.
0: Oh, oh, okay,
4: I got it. Also yes. known as a game master character in the Star Wars games. Yes. Oh. We don't actually use the uh, term NPC. That's it's true. really it's a GMC. That's no, a car.
2: Game master character.
4: Huh.
0: Okay. Yes. Yes.
2: Okay. So Sterling, let's kick this off with you, man. Can you relate to us? Uh, you know, go into the Wayback Machine and relate to us what you would consider to be possibly your most memorable. Uh, game master character or NPC for, for any system you've ever either played in or GM'd.
4: Oh, gosh. Um, to put you on the spot here. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, okay, so here's one that wasn't a major NPC, but it was uh, something that was fun to do on the fly. Um, I was running the Dark Strider campaign back for the D6 system. Yeah. And uh, one of my players had a mouse droid that they uh, wanted to do a variety of things with uh for, um among which you know it, it had a little arm in it that could pick up little items and things like that. And so um whenever it, it, it somehow it got a hold of a, grow, a glow rod at some point. And so every time it would talk, I'd have a little uh, pencil or flashlight or whatever behind my game master screen. And I'd pop it up and it so, sort of point at the player it was talking to or, or communicating with and drop that back down behind the screen when it wasn't uh talking to them. That was kind of that was fun. Um as a side note, you should watch how you program those things. Uh, the the uh, Dark Strider campaign had a lot of um, strife built in between the uh, all the different in, uh, player characters, and that was part of it. It was, a, it was supposed to be a stressful situation, and there were multiple characters being by, played by individuals. And, uh, anyways, they decided at one point to. Um, have this basically turned this droid into a little tiny assassin droid to go after one of the other characters, and it was actually the captain. And then they forgot about that. And oh, later on, uh, there was they, they were, um, you know, evacuating some people from the planet's surface via a shuttle, and a shuttle land, including the captain, Shut, shuttle lands on the uh, on the flight deck, and they you know, they bring him down on a gertie, and the little the little uh, mouse droid whips you know, speeds up. And fires <laughs> so uh, there were a lot of reasons why that one was uh no uh, why, why that one was entertaining um but is, in terms of one that I actually sat down ahead of time to create um I think most of mine I do well, occasionally you know I've had to do it for for uh the the books, but uh, a lot of those we don't get to create from scratch um right, so more often I've done it for like my campaign or not my campaigns, but my uh um, Uh, my convention games. And so uh, I did one that was a, uh, for the Knights of the Republic campaign, that was a uh, oh Zabrak, um, well, once a Zabrak Jedi that went over to the the Sith side um, sort of early on uh, in the KOTOR days. And the players then end up having to Go after this guy because he's trying to convert another NPC to the dark side, and the whole the whole uh, module is basically that. So this guy is never within reach of the players until the end, but is always sort of um, uh, tormenting them and trying to basically trying to do things to turn them to the dark side. Sort of a sort of a lower level emperor kind of vibe, gotcha, I guess.
2: Gotcha. Very cool. So we have the. Awesome Zabrak Sith, uh, evil BBEG, and an assassin toaster.
0: Assassin toaster, that's awesome.
4: <laughs> yes, it was very funny watching the player try to explain because there was you know most of that stuff was done with notes or private discussions or whatever. So suddenly that player really had to explain because everyone knew whose droid that was, why it was doing that, <laughs> and you could just see the look of horror on her face as it as it as I was starting to describe it, because they all knew what was about to happen. Well, not all of them, but many of them.
2: Oh God. Oh, okay. So you're telling this to me and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some actual between, between these two incredibly disparate NPCs, uh, or, or, or game master characters. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a couple of similarities in terms of the effect that they had on the game and the party. And I'd kind of like to delve into that a little further. Um, Talking first of all, Dave, you asked the question immediately, you know, what is a non-player character? What is uh, a Game Master character? Um, I, I don't know. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I mean, ostensibly, I think the players are going to face a lot of threats and a lot of allies during a session, but are they all considered Game Master characters? Because in, in, my, in my opinion, what separates an NPC from a Mook or a Faceless Extra um, is a great deal. Uh, so... Where is that dividing line? When should you put the thought and effort into turning a threat or an ally or somebody you encounter into a full-fledged NPC?
0: Uh Uh-huh. Well. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I've thought about this before. Mm -hmm. And the way you approach it, or at least the way you approach it in our games and the way I would, is if you have multiples... Like a squad of stormtroopers, a bunch of battle droids. Uh, whatever the case is, those are, in my, in my mind, those are all mooks. Those are all just fodder. Yeah, yeah, and, they're fodder. Yeah, nobody cares, right? And so who cares, who cares the memorability of somebody that's there to die? Once the dialogue starts, once the droid commander or you know, your lieutenant... You know, from, from a stormtrooper perspective, whoever's leading the squad, whoever's, whoever you're going to go through time and trouble enough to name, make a named M- NPC, should be somewhat memorable. If you're going to fight them and they have some manner of prowess in combat.
2: That's fair. Um, I, I guess from a deeper aspect, okay, so when should they be memorable? When should they have meaning? I guess is a better question. Sterling, thoughts?
4: Um, well, I mean, I guess ideally you'd kind of like most of them to be memorable. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, obviously the leader characters you usually want to be memorable, but you can have some pretty good memorable characters even that are just really minor um, uh, in the. If, the, if something they... I something I didn't really take advantage of fully in the uh, um, oh the. Sorry, the uh, of Defiance campaign mm-hmm. was that they, my players, uh, sort of latched on to to, a, to a, an R two unit that they got early on, and it became memorable just because it kept showing up. But I never really took full advantage of of maybe giving that a full personality like it might have deserved. Um,
0: so you know, you mentioned little characters that you might encounter along the way that that if they have some meaning or memorability to them, if they provide a plot hook or a turn, potential plot ah. turn, you know, that that could make them more memorable, so to speak. I, I don't know really what the goal is about making, you know, when when do you make a character memorable? When do you give it meaning? I, I, I don't know that there's an answer to that. I I think the answer is whenever you feel you have to.
4: Yeah, but... but no, I- I think, well probably when the plot dictates it. From, sure. Some oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Or it when does. the players <laughs> latch on one that they that they like, uh, maybe then it's time to develop them into something that uh, maybe a bigger role than you originally planned.
2: That's a very good point because it's like okay, obviously when the plot dictates. So you know if if you know they're going to see this individual again, okay, it might be a good idea to flesh them out. If it's somebody that's going to be a great point of plot purchase or um, provide a great amount of storytelling, yeah, you're going to want to flesh them out, but. You bring up an interesting scenario, and there's two sides to the coin. Okay, so one, as you, as you talk about with the droids, sometimes there will be a faceless guy in the crowd that all of a sudden they latch onto, and having the, the stones as a GM to be able to turn that into a full-fledged NPC is not necessarily easy. But how, as a GM... Do you deal with the reverse scenario? I've had this happen where you plan out this awesome NPC and he's going to, oh man, he's going to become an ally to the party and this and that and this and that. And they just want absolutely nothing to do with him. (laughs) They don't care. He has no value to them. (laughs) Yeah, that can
0: be tough. Um, Yeah, but it happens. It does. I mean, you just, I don't know. You just move on. I, I guess I, I don't know. I,
4: well, let's see, again, going back to the Dawn of Defiance campaign, uh, there's a, a high-level Jedi Master involved in that campaign. I'm hopefully not giving too much away. Uh, and my players... Bad. I think it's okay. Yeah. And my players uh, just never... Eventually just never liked that, that Jedi at all. <laughs> they, just, they just retired to, having to you know, basically deal with all the trouble being caused surrounding that person. And uh, they were supposed to be somebody that they really wanted to keep alive and do all this stuff, and they did to a point. But they weren't invested in that in that character. And you know, maybe I could have done something to try and to try and help with that. But uh, it was an attitude that they took on took fer- on fairly soon, and um, fortunately, uh, was able to go on you know, despite of that. But
2: well, and you got to be careful. I mean, because if you try and divest them of that attitude. I mean, I mean, at what point are you railroading the players, you know?
0: You're always railroading to a degree.
2: Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're, you know, no, you're going to make this person an important NPC to you. That's, you know. Well, you
4: just you well, can if, always if bring the, him up again. It's, it's a, if the uh, important NPC is a bad guy, that's pretty easy to do. <laughs> that's very true. So, yeah. it's, it's harder when you're when they want, when you want them to be friends. This is very true.
2: I allies are tough, but man, I mean, bad guys are easy. I mean, bosses, people that are going to be repeat villains in your campaign. That's easy. Um,
4: but, I mean... Act- Actually, what I would do is, is if if, a, if somebody if, if your NPC didn't work out and I would talk to the players afterwards and say, okay, I want you guys to have some kind of ally or whatever the situation is and say, what, what would you be looking for in somebody like that? And maybe try and go that route and see what, they, see what kind of character they're looking for as opposed to one that you're just creating and maybe you're somewhere in the middle you can make it work.
2: That's an excellent idea. So if they're not buying it, find out what they will buy
4: and then sell it to them. (laughs) Or if you're playing Paranoia, they come in with a different clone for that character and he's got a completely different personality and fixes the whole thing. (laughs) Love
2: that game. Uh, I love it. So, okay, so that's ways to deal with problems. And it seems like you know, a way, a way when you know when you want to flesh out a real game master character is if they're going to have meaning for the party, whether it be an antagonistic relationship, or whether it be you know a recurring uh, helpful relationship. That's 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 important. But in terms of the creation of these NPCs, I mean, there, there's kind of there's kind of two schools of thought. I mean, like, you know to create or not to create? Um, in other words, I guess, what are the real advantages or disadvantages of building a stat block from scratch when you do this or using a pregen? Because I, I know Game Masters, whose philosophy is, you know, if it's going to be a full-fledged Game Master character, a full-fledged NPC, I will create the entire concept myself. I'll do it. If it's a MOOC, uh, I, I'll go ahead and use a pregen that's quickly available to me. Um, and, you know, I, I'm kind of a two minds on that subject, quite frankly. Um, Talk to me about. Uh, I mean, I guess. I guess. Let's talk about the dichotomy between the two and some of the advantages and disadvantages of of using pregens or creating builds from scratch. I mean, in terms of, I guess, from scratch. I mean, some of the disadvantages right off the bat. I mean, obviously, it's time consuming, um, rather time consuming, or it can be.
0: Well, look at the advantages, though, of of doing a. You're, you're putting your you're putting your hard earned. Hard, hard work, and your effort into the character. You're investing time. You're creating what is probably going to be a memorable character, and you can build it the way you want it to function within the campaign or the encounter. Or you know, if you're if it's a long term thing, great. If it's a short term deal, great. And you can build it specific. To your party because you know you may have a guy that does tremendous ion damage. Well, you build a droid that is somehow resistant to ion damage. I'm not sure. You know, whatever.
4: Customizability,
0: I guess mm. I'm saying. I don't
4: know. A lot of times, um, what I'll do for my for my uh, campaign games. I'm oh, sorry, not my campaign, my convention games. Um, of course, a lot of times I'll be I will be highlighting a product that I just worked on or something. So, uh, right. it's sort of built in, but. Uh, I will grab a stat block out of there um, and, and uh, sometimes write my encounter around that uh, as opposed to say, you know, try and try and make it work with the existing stat blocks. Um, you know, I will create, uh, typically I will go ahead and create original ones for maybe the, the last bad guy or um, uh, things like that. But a lot of times, yeah, I'll, I'll use the pregens a lot.
2: Well, it's fast it is it is easy and ideally they're also tested. Now, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this too sterling because what Dave just said a minute ago, there's something quite doesn't resonate with me. Dave you talk about like, you know, building your own customized uh, NPC for a game to adequately balance out the players. So if you have somebody that deals, you know, heavy ion you, you know, build the NPC droid with ion resistance or something like that. I think that's as bad as it is good. I mean, if I pulled that on you guys, I mean, I I think I would rightly so be accused of metagaming from the GM seat.
4: I think only if you do that a lot. I mean, if you have an nah, occasional, uh, and and if it, that works really well if they they are fighting against a bad guy that they have fought regularly. So, you know, you know maybe the big the crime lord knows that the Wookiee likes, you know, the the using the the. Uh,
0: um, yeah, he's a Vibroax-wielding Wookiee uh, that yeah, tears exactly. everything in half, and so, or in this case, a, 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 a lightsaber-wielding Wookiee that just charges everything in sight. Well, if I'm a good crime lord or whatever, I'm going to send somebody out there to get killed, but I'm going to
4: put Cortosis Gauntlets on them. So, yeah, and then that also makes it memorable and makes it um, that makes the players know that, hey, they're affecting the universe around them. People are reacting to them beyond just showing up. I mean, they're actually doing things to fight against them that are specifically aimed at them. So I think it's a good thing occasionally. I wouldn't do it every single session. Oh, no.
2: That that makes good sense. That makes real good sense. So obviously, we all know how to create characters. Um, But in terms of pre-generated Game Master characters and NPCs, um, there's lots of resources out there. I mean, obviously, Threats of the Galaxy is a biggie. But I mean, what? Every rulebook so far uh, has had threats in it or allies in it of some type. I mean, starships of the galaxy had starships, but then again, if you're in a starship encounter, those are, you know, threats. Um, I mean, God. So, I mean, after after the release of unknown regions, that's 15 books in this system to aid you. Uh, a plethora of online resources. This is all the stuff that you and Patrick and all the other guys have done, Sterling, on on Watsi's site. Um, I mean, and gosh, there's plenty plenty on our own forums and everywhere else. The point is there's there's a lot of resources out there. I, I don't think it's unfeasible or incorrect to look towards pre-generated ideas just because of the fact that there is so much out there. I think it can be a real big time saver. So.
4: Yeah, part of the trick is finding where is that stat block and which book was that in again. So, right. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's no, We need like true. a humongous index.
2: Yes. Well, interestingly enough, uh, we've had some community members uh, make one. I know Funkamus Prime on the forums um, has an Omega Dex, which is every single thing from every single book. Oh, dude. And it's like, it's like a 14-page PDF, just this massive, massive index that he's compiled.
0: Dude, that's awesome.
2: Yes. And it's, it's available for download on our forums, actually, So, as well as WotC's. So it's there. Well, okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about some pure math here. What about the mechanics of NPC creation? Now Again, we all know how to create characters, okay? but NPCs have this interesting little option of non-heroic levels. And Sterling, I was really pleased to have you on because as a designer whose design threat's a great deal... Um,
4: I've done hundreds of stat blocks.
2: I, yes. Um, I really wanted to, to get your opinion on, on the non-heroic level. When do you use them? how much should you use them? What about heroic levels? Same thing. So, you know, when should you balance out the two? Because I think they, you know, all heroic le- all non-heroic levels or some non-heroic levels can have a, a serious impact on that individual in terms of their playability.
4: Well, I think it really depends. Uh, the non-heroics tend, at least the way I treat them, uh, you know, they they're truly are the mooks in many cases. But you could have a named character that... Is non-heroic, you know. Maybe they, maybe especially if it's in a campaign, it's a new character, uh, a character that doesn't didn't expect to ever have a heroic quote heroic kind of path. So they start off as a non-heroic, and then maybe you advance them as the as the group advances, and then maybe they pick up heroic levels as as they go. Uh, you c- it might it'd be inter- interesting actually to take a a bad guy, MOOC, maybe that survives one of your group's attacks and turn him into a, a bigger bad guy later and give him heroic levels. That might be a really interesting way to uh to to uh, approach that uh, and in fact, uh, in the Nice little Republic book, um, uh, John Jackson Miller was writing up the um, uh, entry for uh, uh, oh the uh, for now I'm blanking on the name. Um, not Zane, but uh, the Snivian. Um,
2: oh yeah. Uh,
4: anyway, God, was more, yeah. <laughs> and, and as part now, normally that that would all, that character would have all heroic levels, uh, being a big NPC or a big, I mean, a big uh, uh, named character. Uh, but in that case, he actually did go ahead and use non-heroic levels at the beginning at our suggestion um, to basically play up the fact that hey, he what I was just talking about, which is, hey, he never really expected to have this exact kind of life. And so, yes, he's weaker than he would have been, but if you read the comics, that really fits in well with his character, so...
2: Yeah. Well, okay then, so that brings up an interesting point. So you think that heroic levels, or all heroic levels, are really the domain of of the named NPC, specifically? And, I mean, so, like, leaning towards where non-heroic levels, with with rare exceptions, like, you know, our Snivian friend, um, should be really the the domain of of MOocs of of non named non important you know fodder
4: well i wouldn 't make all the MOOCs have just non heroic levels uh, there 's a lot of good mechanical reasons not to do that uh, you want you, you want some of the abilities that uh, that the the regular classes give you um, in many cases
2: true true so I guess one of the things i 've always struggled with and i 'm really interested to get your thoughts on this is when I'm building NPCs, and I, I know that I want to do that, okay, you know what? They're mooks. I are I, I, they're they're mid level mooks. I want to give them a fair amount of non heroic levels so that you know they can act as mooks and have relatively low hit points and not a whole lot of talents. But I, I still want to give them some talents, so I want to give them you know some, and, and some force points. So I want some heroic levels in there. Do you have a hard and fast rule or a general guideline in terms of where you draw the line, you know? How many non heroic to heroic levels? Uh you know, is it two thirds to one third or something to that, or half and half? I mean what what tends to be a, a general rule of thumb for you as a designer?
4: It depends on sort of the level of the encounter. Um one nice thing about non heroic levels is that you can give a character a lot of them. So if you have a more if you have a, a character that should logically be have more experience, say like a, a, you have a soldier who should have more experience than maybe some of the characters that, that are that they're going up against. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by giving them additional non-heroic levels, you know that reflects the fact that they've been that can reflect their experience mechanically. Uh, so that is a nice a nice thing. Um, but then uh, a lot of times when you start getting into it, there are some natural breaks. Uh, you might notice that a lot of times. Uh, the ones in the books will will have three or six or nine levels um, of non-heroic, and that's because uh, uh, three levels of non-heroic is roughly equivalent to one level of of uh, heroic. Um, oh, CL. One heroic level. Yeah. yeah, on the CL exactly, and so a lot of times you'll see that sort of break at those points. Um, But well, I think it's yeah. pretty much—I don't know—something you start to get a feel for after a while.
2: Well, that makes sense. Um, I, I have noticed that though, and I guess obviously it's a general guideline that the three non-heroic levels, you know, equate to about you know a CL, a one CL basically. Um, but I, I have—I mean, I've had people I know ask me this too, and you know, and it's—it's it's one of those things you, you really do have to get a feel because you know what. A non-heroic 3 might be a CL1, but a non-heroic 2 with a heavy blaster rifle and a bandolier of grenades. <laughs> um,
4: yeah, the CLs don't tend to pr- account much for weaponry.
2: No, they don't. So, it, it's something you might bump up. It's just kind of getting that feel. So, interesting. Ostensibly, interesting
0: ostensibly, huh? ostensibly, to put it in terms of, of geekness that we all understand, it's... You know you're coming to, you're coming to this by saying basically, "Hey, what kind of computer should I bu- should I build without knowing anything about your purpose and your use? You really can't tell them you know
4: no correct and and also uh, it's also sometimes it's just also a matter of hit points you know sometimes you want you don't want that big boost from first the first level hit points in your lower uh, level uh Opponents.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's... I find that to be a huge... You know, you want that CL. You want them to be dealing the appropriate damage. But, yeah, man. I mean, it's like, wow, I yeah. can give you All those 30 hit point, points yeah. as a first-level soldier, or I can give you 4 as... <laughs> or 30 hit points as a first-level soldier, or, you know, 8 or 9 as a, a third-level non-heroic. Um, you know, same CL. Very very important distinction.
4: It also depends on what sort of talents and uh, feats you want to give uh, early on, because obviously they're a lot more limited um, with the non-heroic. Although in certain cases, uh, there are some some builds you can put together that you couldn't quite do uh, with one of the heroic levels, simply because you get uh, access to basically all the skills.
2: Yes, yes. It's like, you know, wow, I can do my first level of non-heroic and train in survival. <laughs> and, you know, or, you know, train injury or other, other things that only really are limited to a one or two classes. Um, which, yeah, that can be very interesting. Yes. So, okay. Aside from the math, aside from the mechanical aspect and, and judging that, Sterling, yes, you, you have written hundreds of stat blocks. But you have also written some rather memorable characters. And I don't mean just the math behind it, but the actual characters themselves um, are memorable and fun. So I also really wanted to delve into uh, the character making. How do you make an NPC memorable? I mean, because that's got nothing to do with their hit points and their talents and their feats. Uh, how How do you, when you design a character... Get that individual to have value in the player's minds, or not so much value, but at least be memorable for them, whether it be an ally or a villain.
0: Uh, a, 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 a weird s- speech pattern.
4: <laughs> Which is good for about two minutes, and then it's annoying yeah. <laughs> for everybody, including the person trying to do it. Which and it's not to say I haven't done that.
2: Brev gives odd speech patterns to about half of his NPCs.
4: Um, Well, I mean, as long as it's not something really irritating or real high pitch or real, you know, those are things you can do as a game master uh, as you're you're going through. Yeah, Unless, of course, you're just going to say, hey, this guy has a really annoying voice, and then just say the line and move on and not try and mimic it. Right.
2: Yeah, but where's the fun in that? Yeah,
0: I mean, well, yeah, every once in a while it's cool, but I mean, accents, you know, different voice inflections, things like that, that aren't necessarily annoying, they just give you a different frame of reference.
1: I yes. will
2: say to Brev's credit, he's only ever had one NPC so far that we were just like, okay, we we have to get away from you strictly because the speech pattern was driving us insane, and he he and that was a gungan.
0: <laughs> of course, of course, it was a gungan,
2: and and he did it up. I mean, nonstop, balls to the wall, all out gungan, all the time, every time the guy spoke.
4: Oh my gosh! See now, it'd be it'd be interesting to see how that would work with. So, um, what's the software you use for some of your some of the other voices that you have? The uh oh more uh, nice. Fox. yeah, to do that at the table could be kind of cool, and there's now like a World of Warcraft headset where like it will automatically change your voice in the chat <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, that something like that could be fairly cool that's neat interesting or so, highly annoying, who knows
2: or or highly annoying I mean. Okay, so we're, so obviously, speech impediment—that's a personality quirk. Sterling, I mean, what what kind of personality quirks do, I mean, have have you used successfully in the past in terms of creating that really memorable character?
4: Oh gosh, um...
0: spice addiction.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Mental defect. Tra- I'm trying to think here. Um, like I said, a lot of the a lot of the characters I've made are are uh, bad guys. Although, I guess. Uh, when I do create convention uh, characters, uh, you know we'll give them some personality notes in there, um, and then it's about coming up with a with a hook that uh, you know, in a convention setting, you know, it's something uh, where they can latch onto it fairly quickly, and you're off and running. It's usually a better i better way to go instead of something more subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something where you know they're the ones that want to charge ahead, or they're the ones that want to uh, just, you know, let other people do the work, or or encourage other people to uh, save them from whatever trouble they've gotten into.
2: <laughs> Supremely arrogant, yes. Uh, you know, um, racially insensitive, hates Twi'leks, hates you know, uh, just stuff like that. Um, I love I love actually, creating.
4: Actually, you know, going there, there is one area where you could look for um, on the on the Scavengers Guide to Droids book. We did an area in there called traits. Uh huh. And those were really sort of quirks and things. That I think maybe they're quirks, actually. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, there are these quirky things that you can add to your droid. That some of which are mechanically based, and some of which are just pure personality based. And so right. something like that could give you ideas uh, for other other NPCs as well.
2: Cool. Um, and th- that brings up an interesting point: is I guess in in terms of of assigning quirks, um, random tables are nice. <laughs> uh, the, well, yeah, they, but you can
4: you can pick off the table as well. You can pick
2: off tables. too. they're they're very easy. Um, and I know the thing I liked about the, the the quirks was that you had personality traits, but you also had physical quirks. Um, and I know a lot of the memorable NPCs that I've created over the years have mm-hmm. had distinct, strange physical characteristics. You know even something as as cliche as a as a big scar on the face you know or um maybe a really weird skin color or eye color or some type of really obvious deformity um, it's star wars cybernetics huge one uh, I mean now we have rules for cybernetics just about anything uh massive cybernetic enhancements you know uh um, a really smooth-talking speeder salesman with a you know an incongruous cybernetic leg, you know that's not even pretty. It's you know skeletal, you know, and you know as a hook. How did he get that? Where did it come from? You know, cool stuff.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, always what, memorable. What it, you know,
2: it, it is memorable. What about? I mean, in, in terms of, I guess, in terms of of personality and physical quirks, um, there, there's a lot you can do, but. Can you reach a point where it's overload? Can you give too much quirkiness to an NPC? Is it possible to make them too memorable?
4: If, you're, if your players laugh at you, you've done it wrong. <laughs> Unless you're meant to be funny.
2: I think you can say that about most things, though. Could...
4: <laughs> well, yeah, but... but um, okay, for instance, I have a horrible time with names. Okay. I have to work pretty hard to come for, for names, and, and, and my players, my, the other people I play with, they all know this. Um, and so i 've still you know there's some names that I came up with for for my first uh western games product that uh some of my uh current players played way back then, and I still get crap for some of the names that they didn 't turn into something else that they think sounds like something <laughs> else and they 're not really horrible, but the way that they've that the way they 've twisted them um is so that 's a bad thing usually
2: yeah. well I mean, I think it's fairly safe to say that regardless of the creative name you come up with, if you create a, a memorable NPC with a physical or mental trait, it's not going to be, you know, Lord Frill of Dathomir. You know, it'll be uh, the guy with the eye patch. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how I find my own players referring to the NPCs. Oh, yeah, the guy, the guy with the gimp leg. Uh, the paranoid guy with the twitch. Um, th- that's, you know, the defining attribute they remember from that character.
4: Um, you have a lot of disabled... Uh opponents.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Sith the Sith lord in the wheelchair.
2: <laughs> Darth Roller Derby. <laughs> <laughs> the Sith lord in the wheelchair. Get off my lawn.
3: <laughs>
2: force lightning. Oh, I love it. <laughs> he cuts his grass with force slam. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Oh man. So uh, taking, okay, but now taking character building and quirks and individuality in your NPCs to the extreme, I have known some GMs that for specific uh, game master characters, for NPCs that are, you know, recurring characters or, you know, that are are big parts of the story, they will go the distance, they will write backgrounds for these people, they will have family histories and and yada, yada. I've always felt this was more of an exercise in...
0: Futility!
2: <laughs> well, intellectual whatever for the GM. I mean, he might get his jollies out of it, but how <laughs> meaningful is this for the players, really? And and is it a good idea, if ever?
0: Well, speaking from a player standpoint, I, in nine, 92.5% of most cases, don't give a flying flip. I mean, give me enough to make it relevant why I'm fighting them, and that is it. If you want to tell me about his lineage and all that stuff, great. I'm glad you had eight hours of free time on your hand, but I don't have that kind of time. Just, you know, <laughs> just saying.
4: For your major characters, it's 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 good, especially if it's a long-running campaign. Um, aside from that, you know, keeping it short to a few ideas um, is probably enough.
2: I guess if, if knowing their backstory... Would be an integral part of the campaign anyway. Maybe they're trying to combat yeah. the character or find out more about him. That's one thing.
4: Build into the
0: plot if
2: that's the case. Yes, that's what, that's what I'm saying. It, it would be something you would need to build into the plot. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, if it's something you can use as part of somebody's destiny or legacy or background, from you know the mechanical points of view, uh, that's something where you could really tie it in.
2: Yeah. Hmm. And yeah, see that, and ah, that's a good point. Yep. So. so I guess to 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 kind of put a cap on the the NPC creation, I was really pleased, Sterling, to have you on to pick your brain about it specifically. But I, I guess in in mostly when I, when I read your modules, man, when I read Eridonian Darkness, when I read your contributions to the books, um, I noticed that a lot of your NPCs are not only interesting but they're also extremely iconic. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a bit about creating npcs because a lot of the stuff we're talking about is pretty generalized stuff but this is star wars gaming it's an era that we all love it's an era that a lot of us know extremely well and when you're creating a memorable character a memorable npc in star wars um i mean are there any hard and fast rules that that game masters can consider ways to endear themselves to the other players in terms of the characters they present and I mean, how how much does does the canon and, and and the Star Wars mythos come into that decisioning for you?
4: Um, for me, it's pretty important to create a character that fits within the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it's, it sounds basic, but I have actually played in games where some the the characters or somebody will do something that'll be just like the game master will do something will be like that. Just doesn't quite feel like Star Wars to me. Now it might to them; they might have a different take on the aspects of the Star Wars universe they like. Uh, but it's to me, it's pretty important because otherwise, why are you playing Star Wars? If you want to have a, a character that's clearly not going to fit in that universe, you're better off going on playing a different... Uh, in a different universe, a different game, or what have you. Exactly. Uh, so to me, that's pretty important. Now, how to do that? Um, you know, sometimes it's a matter of uh, giving them the... Uh, just the look of of the universe, you know, whether it's a, if it's a bounty hunter, you know, if they've got the armor or the weaponry or, you know, lightsabers or, or what have you. Um, Other times it's, if you can give them a connection to something that's recognizable within the universe, whether they're from a certain planet um, or can relate to certain events that have happened, um, that's not a bad way to go either.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, I think also it's one thing you said earlier. It's an art, you know. It, it, it's something you have to get a feel for after some time. And I don't know. I think there's a certain amount of trial and error that lends a lot of credence to NPC creation, um, and and continuing with that um, as you go forward.
4: Yeah, and and what going back to what Dave was talking about, it it is important. Uh, quite a while back, um, it is important to be able to create some NPCs that are compatible with your party. I mean if if you've got NPCs that your party can never hit uh, mm-hmm. because of, you know, the particular uh, classes that they have, uh, well, then you probably need to make some changes there um, or come up with some way to allow them to be able to succeed. Um, you know, one thing that I've seen, in, particularly as the games go into a higher level, sometimes it's, uh, even with the CL system, it's hard to figure out... Um, it's hard to make sure that that uh, all the combat's working the way you envision for that round. Um, whether you know, sometimes the players will be overpowered, sometimes your your game master characters may be overpowered, uh, and I think we saw that in some of the, I feel in some of the later uh, Dawn of Defiance rounds also.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it seems it, it cracks me up. It seems like I, I recall my my three five D and D days when you when you say this because for at least for my play group at the time that actually became the goal. It was it was almost this player versus gm mentality. Uh it was you know, I'm going to create an npc that is within your cl but is something that that you know what I don't think you can handle. And uh and you know, and then it was yes we can and then back and forth and back and forth. So it, it's interesting. I think I don't know, my years as a gm have taught me how it's supposed to work and I think one of the trickier aspects can be creating that character and making it challenging but then again not too challenging because you want them to be able to defeat it
4: (laughs) yeah i mean i I ran a game in the actually it was a a revised core rules game um, before saga and i had clearly overpowered uh some of the snipers and things i had shooting at the player characters but didn't quite realize it until uh until sort of the first hits occurred and then it was like oh my gosh and then it's like okay Either they got to figure a way out of here, or I got to figure a way to um, not, you know, totally penalize my my players for something that I've I've screwed <laughs> up here.
2: Right. Well, it happens. But all it in does, all,
4: it it does, and and you know, it's something you can usually adjust. It's just a matter of coming up with a story reason why the snipers suddenly throw down their weapons, and run away, or whatever they do, you know, or some other they get aid from somewhere else, or something, you know. Yeah, something happens. It's just a matter of being a good enough GM to to come up with something on the fly in that case.
2: Yes, Han Solo races from the sky in the Millennium Falcon and blasts Darth Vader away <laughs> in time for you to turn, finish turning <laughs> off your targeting computer and make the shot.
4: Um, Never thought of it that that way. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I think the bottom line is creative GMing. So absolutely.
4: Very good. Yep. Yeah. How you keep your uber powerful Sith Lord from frying your 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 farm boy pilot.
2: Yes, exactly. Was, you know probably only a CL10 or 11 at this point, but hey. <laughs> yes, there, there you go. Well, Sterling, thank you for taking the time to come on and talk to us. I know we're going to try and wrap this discussion up as we kind of have shared some of the nuts and bolts and wisdom of, of good NPC creation. Um, always enjoy having you on the show, sir.
4: Yeah, it's
0: been fun.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much.
0: Hey, we appreciate you coming on with us as always, sir.
4: I enjoy and it
2: if, yes and if you guys have any questions for us uh you can of course regarding this segment uh, get over to the forums at 20 radio.com slash forum and if you guys have any questions from sterling or you'd like to find out where he's at or what he's doing sterling don't you have some kind of like internet thingy sort of website yeah it's yeah, this newfangled
4: thing yeah no um yeah you can find me a few places um i have a website sterlinghershey.com. um and uh, I would keep an eye on that. That's where I where I will talk about whatever's coming next. Um, and hopefully, you know, I've, I've had some longer um, sort of journal-like posts up there. Uh, from uh, I've got one up there about talking about uh, the Star Wars Atlas and uh, sort of some of the st- um, some of the systems that I created and they've shown up in the Atlas now and and how uh, sort of how that as a somebody who's created works in the same universe, how all that sort of goes together. Um, you can also find me, I've got a fan page on Facebook um, and also on Twitter as SilverForce77. And I've, I am hiding my tweets, but I'm pretty much just letting most people through. It's just mostly a way to keep the spammers out.
2: I'm right there with you.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, oh, I guess I'm, I'm also on the WOTC, um community as well.
2: Oh, that's right, you are. So there you go. There you are, man. Ex- excellent.
0: Beautiful. Again, thanks much for joining us, sir, and we'll look forward to the next what? The next time we have you on the show, and
4: that'll probably be pretty soon.
2: I would hope you'll yeah, be, but, you'll return yeah. for our, our unknown regions discussion.
4: Yeah. Yes. Yes, I would like to do that. It's uh that was a fun book. Um and uh I had a big big chunk of it, so that's uh, Okay, so
2: just I, I alright then I, I know I know we're we're trying to wrap, but just really quick, what chunks did you have? I gotta know.
4: Um uh, see if I can rattle them off. Um hang on a second. The uh most of the character options, uh not a few of the a few of the species I didn't do. Um and I haven't had time to read through all of the all the feats and so forth to see and talents and all that to see what's been adjusted since I've written it. Um Let's see the planet generator, the uh creature generator um, I did a lot of the stats for the the threat section, which actually daniel Wallace wrote uh, wrote the um text for um that was more of a development side of things uh and then and then uh two of the planets um and two of the adventures, which we all split those up. <laughs> So.
2: Lots of mini adventures in this one.
4: Eight mini adventures in this one? Yeah, there's what? Uh, yeah, eight. Yep, ah. yep. lots of yeah, eight mini, mini adventures, uh, and they use the planets that we've created. That's and uh, um, the planets, I think, if I remember right, they're all new. Um, the threats are some are new and some are you've seen before in some form. Right. Um, and not, not occasionally within the game, but also just from the EU in general.
2: Oh, I just—I can't wait to delve into this. Ah, excitement, excitement. Yeah. Probably, probably not next week. We like to wait for the book to be out a week or so to give. Yeah, I get ample, questions. Ample time for questions, but uh, hopefully we'll have you back on here in a couple weeks or so and uh, talk the talk of unknown regions. Sounds right.
0: good to me, man. Oh yeah. And there he goes, Sterling Hershey, man of mystery. Galaxy man of magic, man of magic,
2: and man of mastery,
0: and intrigue. Galaxies and galaxies of intrigue.
2: No, no, no. Mystery, magic, mastery. We promised them more alliteration, Dave.
0: More alliteration. So, yes.
2: Magic, mystery, mastery, mysticism, m- magnetism, and uh, meeples. Meeples. Meeples.
0: Magnanimous.
2: Magnanimous meeples
0: Yes <laughs> Officially now The show be over
2: It's be over It's be over Well guys get your questions in for next week And uh, we're planning on our next show This coming Sunday of course Episode 102 And be sure to email us Chris at D20Radio.com GMDave at D20Radio.com and uh, give us a call, why don't you? Like uh, Zappy did. And leave yeah. us a bumper.
0: Leave us something. 206-600-5872. Email them in. We will take any and all, all liners that you have for us. And we will enjoy them. And we will put them on the show. Yes, and you will love to hear why
2: you never to listen to the Order 66 that. podcast.
0: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So, you know...
0: I really miss TG. It, it's, really, it's really noticeable now when she's not here.
2: I know. There's a hole in the podcast. There's a hole in our hearts. All of our hearts.
0: There, there is a hole. For two. For two. Yeah. hmm It's a void. For two. For two. Um, yeah, you're going to be in trouble if she listens.
2: But she won't, because no one ever Listens to the Order sixty six podcast. Deep Good night, Gamer Nation
1: Radio, where gamers roll
0: All right, so um, something was kind of missing there, right?
4: Yes,
2: something was missing.
0: Something very bad was missing, and um, so okay.
2: I'll, let, let me let me clear the air. I'll take a deep breath. <sighs> Peace, love, and good gaming,
0: and keep the dice rolling. Game Rolling, gamer nation, <laughs> full of force and
3: stuff.